Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz for NFL Week 7. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton, rocking the Telemundo coffee mug today in a smart Colonel Mech sweater. Kale, that's a hot start to the episode, man. Welcome to Week 7. Stole this from an internship that I worked like five years ago. Uh, yeah, no. Let's get back into some football. A fun NFL Sunday. I feel like we lead that uh, a few, it's like most of the weeks that we've done this, but it really has been like a bizarre fun week in NFL football. Uh, a lot of emerging teams, a lot of fraudulent wins, uh, a lot of, a lot of wins for Jackson's win pool, uh, which is a good explanation of saying wins for the dregs of the league. <laughs> uh, for those that did not listen to that episode, uh, we drafted 30 out of the 32 teams for wins pools, and I, I think I had a pretty good first half of the draft. I came away with the Eagles, the Lions, the Bills, who looked good for a while this season. And then my second half of the draft happened where I ended up with the Patriots, Broncos, Giants, Panthers, and Bears, who combined for four wins through the first six weeks of the season. So things were not looking good for me. Panthers are on by yesterday. Guess who won yesterday? Patriots, Broncos, Giants, and Bears. We're so back. I'm winning the wins pool, Kale. It's inevitable. I thought you had some, like, I don't know. I'm shocked you didn't have, like, some Steelers in there or, like, some some real – I guess you do have the uh, – I do have the Steelers. Just some, you do have some Panthers. Like, yeah, no, it's – the majority of your league is just dregs. Like, this is – it's really funny – that it shows you just how weird of a week it was where all those teams can come together and beat some like very competent football teams. Well, some competent teams, some teams that maybe got introduced to tank watch. I'm looking at you, Green Bay Packers, uh, but definitely. And the Raiders, uh, although being three and three coming into the week, I think uh, the Bears beating the Raiders with a combination of Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell maybe doesn't quite move the needle so much, but I'm choosing to take it as a sign that all four of these teams are good, Kale, and I look forward to uh, seeing you at my award acceptance. But I think before we talk about the dregs of the league, we should talk about the cream of the crop in Sunday Night Football, which was a very fun game and looked as though the Eagles did not have their shit together for probably two and a half quarters, and then all of a sudden they win by 14 and Jalen Hurts is making big throws. A.J. Brown's catching the ball through double teams. And probably most importantly of all, they have the most unstoppable one-yard play in football that they converted twice on a 10-minute drive to seal the win. So, thoughts? I don't want to fully refute what you said, uh, but I do want to push back on you saying that the Eagles didn't have their shit together in the first half. I'm kind of coming around on the fact that this Eagles team just has an incredibly high operational floor. Uh, just they've been able to string together some crazy long drives. Like, yeah, the the fumble in the first series of that second drive. Like, I get it. Like, Jalen Hurts is like, Miami's got an awesome front seven, completely swallowed him up, tries to bail out. Bradley Chubb gets a hand on it. Uh, I forget who else was in on it. Jalen Phillips, maybe. Uh, but. Like, they've just got incredible, incredible 
especially defensive line, but front seven collectively. But these other drives, man, like 12 play field goal drive to open things up, nine play touchdown drive with a huge almost uh was that the no that was the goddard touchdown i was thinking that was the uh the big aj brown that gets him by the goal line uh but another 12 play touchdown drive they've just been orchestrating these crazy drives the 13 play touchdown drive to end the game like long drives to just kind of completely take the air out of a miami offense that can score from kind of wherever the defense has been able to hold their own uh, especially with the amount of injuries that they've undergone. Uh, we could talk about the Miami half in a second, but I think this is just a really impressive, like both ends of the spectrum thing for Philadelphia. They have the ability to just be this dominant, like win a drag out fight, take you the distance sort of team where it's, it's long methodical drives. And they also have the ability to just open things up and really strike you where it hurts the most, uh, or, or just in crucial situations. AJ Brown is a is becoming a not becoming he already is just a one of one kind of receiver, uh, one of the few real skill position game changers in football. Uh, it, it's when you have that kind of punch, it's awesome. But like everyone down to like uh Devonte smith like what they're able to do in the run game uh it's a real collective effort and also that tush bush isn't just a one yard play this play is going to get banned when they realize oh it's good from like fourth and two it might be good from fourth and three even uh and at some point the eagles are going to get to a drag out game where they just run that play four times in a row, five times in a row, and just run five minutes off the clock when they automatically pick up, uh, like they just average two and a half yards a clip and just drag a team out. Chris Collinsworth had a good little moment on the broadcast last night where they went for it on uh, fourth and one in the fourth quarter from their own 25, and then they went for it again from like their own 40, and they got it with the tush push both times and noted that analytics the big boogeyman on fourth down decision making you know you're playing the odds there you're trying to get it right 51 percent of the time at least maybe 56 percent of the time if you're really good at it so we always heap bull crap on these coaches when they go for it on fourth down and don't get it but when you go for it on fourth and one from your own 25 and you i mean especially when you have a play like that it's pretty much guaranteed to succeed we gotta at least recognize that these coaches need credit. Nick Sirianni's done a really good job of decision making this year. Uh, my one thing about the Eagles, though, they are less effective, at least in Jalen Hurts's uh, running game this year. He's running a lot less physically. Uh, he's still picking up first downs here and there, but I mean, last year I just felt like his runs were such a game changer. And last night you saw them on the first drive get first and goal at the eight. And they had two weird design quarterback runs, including third and goal from the eight, where he like checked to it himself and just kind of ran straight into the line for two yards. So I'm not like 100% sold on their run game like I was last year. It's still very good. I just don't think it's like completely dominant. Uh, and that kind of brings me to AJ Brown because he is the X factor. He is completely dominant this year. I would have said he was a top seven or eight receiver last year. I think this year he's a top four, maybe top three receiver. And the difference between those two is bigger than I think it sounds because he has elevated himself to this total game record tier that I didn't think 
you know, I thought I knew what AJ Brown's ceiling was, and he's busted through it this year. Five straight games of 125 plus yards as an NFL record. I have no reason to believe he won't break it next week. He's just been singular awesome all season. It's it's been really, really impressive. I also don't think like especially in regular season, I don't think you have to just have all that pressure on Jalen Hurts to complete those big quarterback scrambles. I think it's a thing that they will design in at some point. Oh, no, they are five. You're right. I, for some reason, saw uh, an NBC graphic that said six, but you are right, five. Sorry for the correction. The Jalen Hurts rushing thing, yeah, it's been – Less needed, I'd say, uh, beyond uh, brotherly shove territory. But I don't know. When when you have the ability to defer to, like, just a casual, like, four yards a clip on 15 carries from DeAndre Swift, you get, like, Kenneth Gainwell in spots where you kind of need him. You had a few runs that was blown up. But, you know, even calling in Boston Scott from the reserves and just getting him for, like, three or four short yardage carries when you need them, that kind of thing gets eliminated when you have Jalen Hurts in the mix. Uh, and, like, you're so dominant on short yardage runs already from QB sneaks. But, yeah, it's just a level of versatility that this offense has that I'm pretty impressed by. And it's just – it's so thin. Like, it, it really is just, like, it's five guys going to work. Yeah. Uh, like, outside of Jalen Hurts. It's the two running backs, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith. That's kind and, of all you have. And you Jason Kelsey, Lane Thompson, uh, Thompson, Lane Johnson. Yeah, the offensive line, of course. Those guys are the position wise. Yeah. I'm excited for uh, Jordan Mailata's Christmas Carol again this year, too. Uh, I want to move on to Miami, but I just want to touch on Hurts individually for a sec. Uh, concerned about the knee brace in the second half or concerned about the 10 turnovers this year compared to eight for all of last season or none of it matters. He's just kind of working through some stuff and he's still Jalen Hurts. Uh, none of it matters, especially when four of those come from one game. Uh, I like, I get a little bit concerned about like forcing it into tight windows and like overextending too much, but this is also just an Eagles team that like barely lost to a top 10 defense in the jets after lost in like really ugly like worst turnover of his life fashion and it was his no i get it i pointed it out at the time i'm just saying that i don't know how much it matters when there were four of those and they almost lost and yeah hurts had to like just completely break down fumble where he tried to overextend a bit but in plays where he tries to improvise there's also like a lot of good in there so i'm kind of fine with it and it's the only one he had this game i'm not overly sweating it turnovers aren't necessarily an indictment on the quarterback it's more a product of depending on the play like how often you're passing like turnovers aren't as detrimental as you think they are let's not get to Jameis winston seasons but like turnovers in themselves are overblown if if defense is holding up their end of the bargain if you're willing to take those risks those turn into points more often than not, especially when you've got guys like we've just addressed on this team. Ryan Fitzpatrick argued for Jameis during uh, Thursday Night Football to play as well this week. I thought that was a fun little uh, – I'm in for it. Got their backs this week. I'm <laughs> in for it. Let's do it. Let's see it. De- Derek Carr's like 60% right now 
like maybe generously, like he's clearly pretty injured. Can't do anything with balls. He's throwing. I'm not disappointed in how high I was on him. Like, I think a lot of it's also P Carmichael, but like, yeah, like just, I guess, I guess P Carmichael is not going to let it loose, but like, yeah, we found that Bruce Cannon cop who doesn't play by the rules. Jalen or, uh, Jameis Winston, let's run. Let's I'm do in. it. Uh, back to the Dolphins side of Sunday Night Football. They have now lost both of their games against teams with better than 500 records. They have been the most impressive offense in the league this year, except in those two games. And their five wins are a two-point win over the 2-4 and four Chargers, a win over the 2-5 and five Patriots, a win over the 0-6 Panthers, a win over the 2-5 and five Giants, and their last one was another crap team that I can um, I had. Oh, the Broncos, two and five Broncos. So I'm still in on the Dolphins for the most part, but I'm starting to have my doubts when they have another like semi clunker offensively. Uh, and more concerningly, I don't want to say like most concerningly because it was like three sacks is in a ton, but three sacks when Tua had only taken six all season and they came in crucial late game scenarios that starts to put a little bit of thought into my head of, you know, is this team built to actually win in January or are they just going to be a really fun regular season team? Well, one, they're playing without like either of their tackles. Toronto Armstead isn't playing. Isaiah Wynn left this game. You're getting really thin on the, uh, you get you're getting just real thin on that line. Like the whole left side of the line is kind of gone for them. Uh, Isaiah Wynn wasn't playing tackle for them; he was playing left guard. Uh, that being said, uh, I'm not like I'm not that worried. Uh, two is still really bad when he gets out of his looks. He's improved marginally, but uh, it, it's not the absolute disaster class that it has been the last two years. Whenever he like is pulled out of structure and forced to create on his own independently. It's not as bad as it's been, but this is just a really good Eagles team that kind of forces Tua to play near perfectly. Like, yeah, he didn't have the most explosive of games, but uh, when you kind of have your entire run game, that's been averaging like 12 yards a carry. Uh, shut down by a really good Philadelphia rushing defense. You're forced to do everything on your own. And even Tyreek Hill, who like had some big breakout plays, is held to his lowest efficiency numbers of the season, probably. Yeah. I, I don't know if like <laughs> I like it's probably Tyreek Hill's worst game efficiency wise since the Patriots game. And even like Jalen Waddle was out of this game for a bit. Uh it just gets tough in there. But I don't think they're not built for January. I think it's just like they're currently dealing with a lot of injuries. Let's see how things shake out. But yes, yeah, it's a really good team. They've got to be able to figure out counter punches. Uh, defense has to play a little bit better. They also, again, played this game without uh, Xavier and Howard and Jalen Ramsey, who will both be there uh, come playoff time. So it gets a little bit better there. Uh it's just sort of frustrating to have this bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing where uh, their wins are so dominant and their losses, they kind of just disappear. 
Like that Bills game is like what twenty four point differential. This one is, you know, two touchdowns. It's still relatively in the thing, but it never felt like the Dolphins were in it. The Eagles jump out to a pretty early lead, and the second that Miami uh, starts to sort of pick things up toward the end of the half, beginning of the second half, uh, Eagles D gets stout uh, and just holds them. Miami gets a pretty miracle play to tie the game up, and then Philadelphia just kind of sits on them, like just really runs the clock down. 24 plays across two drives with two touchdowns is – or 20, uh, 25, sorry, is just pretty dominant. Like it's just pretty suffocating. And, yeah, Miami could kind of score at will, but against good teams like that, they're going to have to find a way to sort of break it down not rely as heavily on explosives and just like be a good overall football team. Yeah. And I mean, there's also, we, we get so tied into, you know, football season and these one game sample sizes and trying to draw these huge conclusions from them where, you know, in any other sport, we wouldn't do that. It's just the nature of the NFL season and it is so short, but you know, that game last night, there was a third and three where, Tyreek has a walk-in touchdown. There's nobody within five yards of him, and he just drops it as he's, like, starting to tuck it and run with it. It almost could have been ruled a fumble because he just, like, flipped it out of the back of the end zone as he was about to walk in. And then the next play is fourth and three, and they go for it, and James Bradbury, like, fully grabs the face mask of Cedric Wilson on the sideline, and they don't call it. So if either of those two plays goes differently, it's probably a one-possession game at the end, and who knows what happens. So, I will say – I will say Miami after that, tough. Miami also ten penalties for seven yards is pretty brutal. Can't happen. Yeah, like like you've just got. Eagles have been flagged zero times. No, but also Miami definitely was the more undisciplined team by a long shot in this game. Eagles Eagles also like (laughs) had a lot like watching a game just had a bunch of offsettings too. So like one like the Eagles zero isn't indicative of how they performed, and two Miami got way more penalties than. than like the already large amount of 10 lets on. Yeah. And one of the offsettings was a tush push where for the second time this year, the refs call offside on the left guard because they don't realize that's Jason Kelsey's hand, not the left guard's hand, which is legal for Jason Kelsey to have two hands on the ground in a four point stance. So we got to figure that one out, but there could have been even more penalties on Miami and that could have cost them a first down, but the Eagles just pick it up on the next tush push anyway. Long story short, not that worried about Miami. I do want to see how they look against the Chiefs, Kale, and I was really excited for this game until I saw that it is the inaugural NFL Frankfurt game at 930 in the morning. So not sure we'll learn anything from it. Not sure I'll be able to wake up for it with my night shift work schedule, but we will try because that is an exciting matchup on paper. You know who else is that one going to be even earlier than the London games? No, it's the same. Okay. So it's better or worse, we're, we're incorporating the 9.30 a.m.s into our lives and the Patriots play in Frankfurt the following week. So very exciting times we live in. Teams we're also excited about. We've been doing this thing every week where we kind of have an overreaction team, Kale. And usually what ends up happening is we overreact to the Cowboys crushing the Jets. The Cowboys lose to the Cardinals. We overreact to the Niners crushing the Cowboys. The Niners lose the following week. And last week, we anointed the Detroit Lions. 
this week they get crushed. And now we get to overreact to the Baltimore Ravens looking really good yesterday. So 38 to six Lamar MVP, everyone on the offense is cooking and their best defensive performance of the season. Give me your level of excitement for the Ravens right now. Uh, Sky high. Like this is, this is what I've been looking for out of Baltimore. Uh, more like not just the offense, like Lamar's able to get it to like this. This felt like the first like huge, uh, it, it probably wasn't, but it felt like the first huge Mark Andrews game where like just so many times in a row, even though it was only four catches and two of those were touchdowns, it felt like Lamar was just turning to Mark Andrews in plus moments. It was, uh, Zay Flowers, like, still continuing to deliver, like, some big explosive plays. Odell leads the team in receptions, uh, maybe for the first time this season. I don't know those numbers in front of me. Did not do enough pre-work in this. But Rashad Bateman showing up, too. Uh, for one like, imagine So many – yeah, but still so many guys getting involved at different parts when they need to. Uh, like, Nelson Aguilar uh, catching a pass touchdown. Like – just this team is deep. This team is awesome. This, uh, even with JK Dobbins out and like the injuries that they've sustained in this rushing attack, uh, Baltimore has just fully been able to create a versatile pass forward offense, uh, behind Todd Monk and Lamar Jackson that is absolutely crushed. Uh, Lamar Jackson feels like an MVP right now, but I say all that to say that for. Seemingly the first time this season, uh, Baltimore's defense has really stepped up. Uh, it has been uh, like not not totally their fault, but it feels like at points the defense has sort of stagnated their offense, uh, especially just looking at how this team has sort of handled opponents. Uh, like it's been a lot of tough shootouts. The games they've lost, they've lost to very inferior offenses. And yeah, granted, like those offenses should have stepped up against pretty good defenses. But losing to the Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers, it feels like a defensive letdown at points. But now we've got a Baltimore defense that feels like it's really coming into its own feels like it's had its first true marquee performance and it's just great to see i don't think this is like a full indictment of the uh detroit lions like i don't think they're total fraud watch although jared goff had a little bit of la slip back into him uh like five sacks and interception a lot of passing it's the same thing it's always been it's he plays when you're playing from behind with Jared Goff and Jared Goff's under pressure, you're probably not going to get the best version of Jared yeah. Goff. We can't do things out of structure. Like it's still a big problem for him there, but he's, he's basically like slightly older uh, Tua and Brock Purdy. He's in the exact same conversation as those guys. When things are going right, he can look like an all world quarterback. When things are going wrong, it looks like he maybe shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It just depends on the week. And I guess we should have factored more of that in when we were taking all the good and none of the bad with the Lions last week, but the, all, all the good can still happen on any given week. So the Lions are still in it. I just, you know, maybe we had a little too much on our plates last week, and maybe we just needed something to talk about, and the Lions were the most pressing topic. But 
I'm not, I'm not hitting the panic button. I think I'm just remembering like, okay, this is, this is still the team we thought they were, which is really good, but maybe not, you know, upper echelon. Baltimore is now like leading the collective league in sacks. They've had some pretty good defensive passing performances and they're starting to get healthier in that department as well. Uh, they just like it's everything. Everyone feels like a clear number two to Kansas city, which is like, shouldn't be surprising, but feels surprising. Uh, but yeah, I like, I don't know. Baltimore's better than Buffalo right now. Uh, they're one of the more consistent contending teams in the league. Uh, I feel like we've had a lot of fluctuation at the top of this, but it's like, it's them, the Eagles, and the Chiefs in terms of consistency in no particular order, and, and the Niners in there as well. I guess you're just naming who you assume is going to be the top four teams in January. But, it, like, week in, week out, it just feels like they're the group delivering the most. Uh, so you think the final four weekend is Ravens, Chiefs, Niners, Eagles? I, I, I had the Cowboys in there late. Uh, we'll see how they continue to uh, adjust and get healthy, uh, especially offensively. Let's see how they come out of this bye and and figure things out. But uh, I had Raven. Like, did I fuck? Did I have it on this pod? Ravens Niners Super Bowl. I feel like yes. I did. Okay, I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure. I was very very nervous that I didn't. Well, let me put it to you this way then, because you have been like a Ravens guy from the start of the year, and this is like the best Ravens week. I might pick that as my final four. I might swap the Ravens out, and that's kind of my thing is of those four, I feel like the Ravens are the most likely to let me down if I'm going to pick that as my final four. Do you feel the same way, or is there another one of those four teams you think is going to let you down? Niners just like – Niners are so weird in that they feel like the safest bet and also like the highest risk. If if only because you're no no like it makes no sense because yeah they have all this top end talent but you're also picking the like you're staking that in of those four and probably like even if you expanded it to the divisional round like Brock Purdy's going to be one of the worst quarterbacks in that mix. So in terms of You've got three either MVPs or borderline MVPs uh, with Jalen Hurts coming in last year uh, or getting votes last year. But then you've just got Brock Purdy. Like, it it feels like the risk is because it's not a guy who can single-handedly put the game in his hands and take over the way Lamar can, the way Patrick Mahomes can, the way Jalen Hurts can. Like, that's why it feels like the biggest risk. Uh, And especially with with that team's injury history, uh, just feels the most uncertain heading into January. Then again, they they were they were winning, they were almost winning games of fifth stringers uh a year ago. So yeah. And I don't even disagree with your line of thinking, but then you look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, pray for healthy Debo, but it's Ayuk, Debo, Kittle and McCaffrey against Zay Flowers, Odell, Aguilar, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards. Like there's so many don't other leave Mark Andrews out of that. Like let, let's not be disingenuous here. Who am I? Leaving? I don't even know. Oh, Mark Andrews. Okay. That's I did leave that okay. Fair, fair, fair. Um, <laughs> but the, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the Ravens after this week. I just, I hope it's not another one of those things where next week we have to come right back here and have the same exact conversation, which would require the Ravens losing to the Cardinals next I was week. Say, so, we've crazy, done it before. Crazier things have happened earlier this season. So 
right there with it. Uh, but the Ravens are feeling good about themselves. I'll tell you who's not feeling good about themselves this week, Kale. Uh, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott. Like, speaking of teams who are going to disappoint me in January. Yeah. Um, are they even going to be there in January? We are speaking, of course, about the Buffalo Bills. Uh, this is going to be an interesting segment for us as two Patriots fans that had sort of accepted the Patriots as a tank team this year and now have to talk about them beating their bitter division rivals in dramatic fashion. Uh, so WTF, Kale, what's, uh, what, what was the vibe out of Foxborough yesterday? Uh, not just accepted, Jackson. I, I just want to circle back and, and – We're uh, excited, yes. <laughs> Active, actively rooting for might be a better way of putting it. I published on Friday uh, an article titled The End of the Patriots Dynasty, which not mm. my title, but uh, mine was where do the Patriots go from here. But it's basically all about this is the worst start of the Belichick era. Uh, like Mac Jones is like is kind of Jekyll and Hyde in doing – some things well and like doing the most of the situation highest uh highest throw rate into tight windows with uh the highest completion percentage in the league on tight window throws uh which one's the evil one out of jekyll and hyde i've never actually known that uh is it hyde because whichever the evil one is that's what mac jones was for 95 percent of this season i think it's mr hyde because i think the first guy is a doctor i don't (laughs) just get evil yeah Case in point, Dr. Evil. Yes, but I think the point was that he drank a like he drank a potion and then was a not doctor. He lost his doctorate by drinking a potion. I'm sorry I'm not up to date on my 1886 gothic novellas by Scott. I'm an English major. I should know this. Uh but yeah, like skill position group woefully disappointing. Uh Bill or the Patriots defense is really banged up. Uh, has gotten healthier. Uh, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, special teams, like, huge disappointment. And I wrote this whole thing about, uh, yeah, like, here's how the Patriots offense is going to go. They're going to sell at the deadline. They're going to part ways with Belichick. Uh, they're going to get Drake May. Uh, they're going to have a good draft position, so they'll sign Mike Evans before. And you can run this whole thing back in a year with a really well-built defense, a new offensive coordinator, and uh a litany of new weapons. Uh, and within 48 hours, uh, Belichick secretly signed a new contract. So he's not going anywhere. <laughs> and the Patriots beat uh, their, again, yeah, most bitter rivals. It should have been what I assumed. We live in the era of not just like overzealous reporting, but Twitter aggregators and rumor mills and all this like 24-7 media machine, most, not most, but a, a good bit of it is nonsense. And that yet there was never one whispering of an extension that Bill Belichick signed in like late August until yesterday. And it sort of like didn't make that big of a wave in in my brain at least like it didn't register with me until like the game was over and i saw Rappaport's tweet from like seven hours prior and i was like wait this happened so weird time to live in where bill belichick can just like kind of macgyver his way into an extension with nobody taking notice of it for eight weeks it's a good vote of confidence in bill and i think it's a good uh just like sign that they still care i guess uh but but should they? <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> we won't go there. Congrats on 300 wins, Bill. Mac Jones 
played well. Like, again, this is it's frustrating because it's Bill's backups. Uh, they're missing a lot in the secondary. Matt Milano done for the year. Uh, Daquan Jones and a bunch of the defensive line banged up. Uh, so Bill's D is kind of dropped off. Oh, Jackson, I, there's another stat I want to throw in there. I need to like, I will confirm this when I'm done talking. Uh, <laughs> this is the first win of the Mac Jones era. Uh, when the defense has allowed 20 points, I think. That sounds so true. Sounds <laughs> so true. It's, I forget if it's 20 or 24, but it's a low number. I'd buy that in an instant. I can't remember a single back and forth game they've actually won. But I just want to say, like, offensively, this is a team that's kind of starting to put it together. Like, Ramondre is generating explosives again. Uh, Demario Douglas finally leaves the doghouse to lead this team in all-purpose yards. The lone speed guy they have on this freaking roster, not named Tyquan Thornton, uh, who just, I guess, is playing. He got a reception for two yards. Uh, but, yeah, what a, what a second-round pick. Uh, I if, if they picked Marvin Harrison Jr., he'd turn into a pumpkin. Uh, but, like, Kendrick Bourne catching big touchdowns, finally getting some, like, really good usage out of Mike Gusecki. Uh, as a you know short zone tight end guy, uh, not to butt in, but was this the week we learned that AJ Brown cried when he didn't get drafted by the Pats, or was that last week? No, this was the week. This was this was it was Saturday. Uh, God, God, I hate this team. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know, like like just some just some real quintessential Patriots performances. JC Jackson kind of. Kind of nice with it against uh, Stefan Diggs. Uh, like holding him to 658. I get he had a touchdown in there off a pretty broken play, but uh, had a pretty crazy uh, pass breakup, meaningful pass breakup toward the end of the game. Was was able to stifle him a lot. Uh, Buffalo had uh, like eight guys, seven guys with at least 10 yards of receiving, and it's mostly because you got to go away from Stefan Diggs. Uh, so, like, yeah, just a really complete game by New England. Uh, suffocating in that first half, especially. Jackson, is it time to talk about Buffalo just not having weapons? Uh, uh, yeah. It, it feels That's really nice. weird to say because it's, like, it's so confusing because they've tried this concerted effort on getting – Players on the margins. When you've got a guy getting paid Stefan Diggs money, I guess he's like contract's not even that bad. Like realistically, I think he's a sub twenty mil, a sub twenty mil guy because he signed this deal before the big receiver boom. But when you've got all this defense al or money allocated into the defense and Josh Allen, uh, and you also kind of inexplicably, kind of justifiably signed Dawson Knox to a top five tight end deal. Uh, I guess that's just market, but whatever. Uh, and you try and win on these margins. Uh, and you try and just get guys that you might have hit alongside Stefan Diggs. That's resulted in the Khalil Shakir fifth round pick that hasn't really worked out. It's getting Deontay Hardy, who has a receiver, though. Like, from Sherfield. Yeah. I mean, I think I, the name that jumps off to me is Gabe Davis. Like, what are you doing, dude? One catch for six yards yesterday. Like, he's not. The wide receiver too. We thought he was going to grow into, especially at the start of last year, and that's like one catch on five targets for that matter. Yeah. Like a real where problem. All these issues stem from is they don't have that 
second option in the passing game. Yesterday it was Dalton Kincaid. Finally, good for Dalton Kincaid. But yeah, welcome to the party. You need, you need a second receiver, and they don't have one right now. And they don't have a game-breaking running back. And you know, we have these talks about running back value all the time, but I think the Bills are a really good example of you at least need one who's you know above league average because they just keep running back like every year there's all these names in their running back room and they keep interchanging with each other it's almost like okay is Latavius Murray with them now or is he back with the Saints is which cook is in their backfield uh did Naheem Hines resign or did he walk in free agency like all like just get a real running back Devin Singletary same thing like all these guys are the same running back and they need one who's like 15 percent better Singletary has been like fine in Houston. Like he's not a great back, but like that was supposed to be your answer uh, for four years, and he was he was serviceable, like not able to do anything. And I'm not saying like I I don't think Buffalo is missing a good running back. Like I I don't think that's like James Cook not having the best day. Like the long of twenty uh, really muddies the waters on the rest of his, you know, four yards a carry day. But well, they're definitely missing either a running back or a receiver. It's a, it's a receiver. It's a, rec- it's a receiver to take away attention from Stefan Diggs. And the fact they haven't like invested premium capital into a first or second round receiver. I get the draft shakes out weird sometimes. And I think a couple receiver runs have happened in front of Buffalo. Uh, I know the, uh, the big receiver one in the twenties this year uh, happened for the Johnson uh, Addison Zay flowers uh, fourth one. whose name is now escaping me in there. Uh, that run happened kind of right in front of Buffalo, their SOL, whatever, but was JSN in that run. No, JSN was like right before like JSN was like 14 to 16. I want to say. Uh, yeah. And then that run happened like 20 to 23. Uh, but I'm, it's my name's completely escaping. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but like they tr- they tried to get something going in Dalton Kincaid. He was a vertical tight end. Uh, I guess you maximize running for like capitalizing on all that like hyper successful uh, DVOA numbers in twelve personnel. But when you run twelve personnel a ton, kind of loses its value, and you aren't able to get the same utilities out of it because defenses now just match up against you differently. Uh, and you'd rather have just a legit wide receiver than Dalton Kincaid and, or just any vertical tight end in there, unless you got Travis Kelsey in the mix. Like, it's not really going to make a difference. Uh, yeah, it's just Josh Allen's got this weird thing, man. Like, he, he's he's really good, and the defense is letting him down. Uh, not letting him down. Just the defense is underperforming because of their kind of litany of injuries. And he's got to play hero ball. It's it's kind of built into his thing. And if Josh Allen's like, if that's his pension, if Josh Allen's going to play some hero ball and do some crazy throws and kind of heave it up, you got to make sure you have someone down there to get it. Like, it can't just be Stefan Dix. Because J.C. Jackson looks like, I'm not going to say he looks like J.C. Jackson again. It was one game. Like, take a breath, Kale. But uh, was able to play a lot of solid man defense against Stefan Diggs. And if Stefan Diggs is locked up, just like there's got to be a one B there. There's got to be a two. I, I've always talked about having like a deep receiving roster being the thing to 
like it, it, one of the best things to help quarterbacks. Uh, you, let's go back to my wide receiver 20 minute rant from last year, but you've got to have someone, man. Like, Ga- like Gabe Davis is not cutting it. I was a big Gabe Davis guy. I thought, I thought like he was an okay yeah, receiver yeah, that had some... four touchdowns against the Chiefs in the playoffs. That's what's so disappointing about all. But it's an explosive thing. It, it's it's an all or nothing sort of thing when you have a guy who's so, like who just mashes the vertical button. And I don't even think this is like a Ken Dorsey problem. Like I Ken Dor- like Ken Dorsey's got his issues, but like Josh Allen, like that interception by uh Jabril Peppers, like f- what first play of the game, that's bad. Like that's Josh Allen should know better than like when a safety like that's playing curl dig and he's like working down the field. Josh Allen, like, it's not a rookie mistake where it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't expect that that corner had that athletic ability or that that corner was going to play so aggressively down on that play or on that ball. Uh, no, that's, like, your fifth year in the league, like, your <laughs> sixth year in the league. Yeah. Uh, you should have this down better. I don't know. It's It gets frustrating. It, so it gets frustrating. Okay. You expect more out of a guy who should be in that one to three who should be a top three quarterback in this league. And he was fine. Like Sumer sports put out their EPA numbers uh, for the week and he's still creating a lot, but like, I don't know. Like there's just, you just need more. He passes the eye test on every level, but there's always that like weird skeleton lurking in the closet. And they're doing the thing again this year too, Kale. And, you know, pin it on Allen, pin it on the, you know, injured defense, whatever you want to pin it on. But they had a pretty well-documented stretch like the past year and a half, two years, where they went 0-7 or 0-8 in one-score games. They finally won a couple, so that got everybody off their back. This year, they're back to doing it again. They're 1-3 in one-score games, and they probably should have lost that Giants game last week. So they blow teams out, and they look like Super Bowl contenders, and then they just have these head-scratching games. And now it's you know really three in a row head-scratching games separated by that one ugly win. And... I don't know where they go from here. They're a really confusing football team that I could tell you, you could tell me they're going to be in the AFC championship. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. You could tell me they're not going to make the playoffs. And I'd be like, that sounds kind of crazy, but crazier things would happen in this league this year. AFC's divisional winner, New York Jets. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm completely <laughs> uh, That was, that was, I'm stealing, I'm stealing from Dirtbag Queer on Twitter. That's uh, who's, who's gotten especially Joomer about Buffalo. I but, like it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, like they're still a good team. Like they still have a top five quarterback. They still have a top three wide receiver. Uh, it's just a lack of depth, and their defense is kind of getting annihilated. Uh, it's a big sort of turning point for them, and I'm curious to see how they end up. Well, the other side of this game is that Bill Belichick gets his 300th win. Congratulations to the Patriots. But I think we still are both firmly in the camp that they should be on a losing trajectory. And that brings us to our next topic. And, Kay, I'm going to let you take it from here. It's going to be a little bit like our past where uh, you're sort of the host. Uh, and I'm sort of the reactionary analyst, but then you're going to get your takes in, which are probably more nuanced than mine anyway. But it's going to be a fun role reversal here for the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, trade deadline, buyers and sellers. Uh, the floor's yours, Kale. Yeah. Last year was just – Jackson, how much fun was that? I'm doing a little news show, uh, getting a taste of, like, maybe the most uh, electric 
NFL trade deadline in recent memory. Uh, just, just big names moving across the league, changing the entire landscape of how we think about uh, the current situation. Uh, teams getting transformed overnight. Uh, absolute blast. I don't think we're getting that this year, but it would be sick if we did. And there's a lot of there's a lot of fluff in the middle of this league right now. It's we've we've talked about it a lot. The contenders aren't really contending. Uh, there's a couple teams that are sort of pulling away: Eagles, Chiefs, uh, 49ers. But the rest of this league is really like full on in the thick of it. Even the dregs of the league, like Denver, New England, Chicago, New York Giants. Uh, even the Cardinals in a loss looked like they played tough. There's a lot. There's a lot of slop in here, Jackson. And we're going to sift through the slop in buyers and sellers. We got Let's about two-thirds of the way left of this season. I'm just going to throw out some team names that are kind of in this middle. Maybe they're a win above 500. Maybe they're a win below 500. Maybe they are 500. But we're going to figure out where these teams lie, and you're going to tell me if they're buyers or sellers at the deadline. I want to start. In the AFC North, Jackson, uh, we could really take most of this division. Uh, Steelers, Browns, or Bengals. Let's start with Cincinnati. Three and three. There's really only one guy they're selling in the circumstance. But three and three, recently on the upswing. Burrow looks to kind of be back, but they're about to hit this massive... uh, like off-season gap of having to pay Jamar Chase, hitting in this right time, and they're going on a stretch of games that could break them. At San Francisco, hosting Bills, hosting Texans, at Ravens, Steelers, Jaguars. like They've got a seven- or eight-game stretch of tough games, and they can kind of go anywhere. Three and three Bengals, buyers or sellers. You can also say stay and put and just seeing where they go. Yeah, I don't think they're big buyers, but they're not selling. And I think if you come out of that stretch four and two, you feel great. You come out of it three and three, you still feel like you can get a wild card. And it's just, you know, they've got this core together that they've been to the AFC title game with two years in a row. And they're all still young and they're all still, you know, either paid or about to get paid. And I don't think they're ready to break that up at all. Uh, And I don't, I don't think there's like a way you could talk me into selling with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on your team. Like, I just don't, I don't see that because that's still one of the five best QB skill position player combos in the league. And when you have that, I feel like you always have a chance. So I've sort of always been like reluctant to put the Bengals away this year and I can't do it yet. I think they'd have to go like one and five in that stretch for me to truly bury them. So even though I have like many legitimate concerns about this Bengals team, like I think it's a it's a soft buy slash potentially stay in place if the right deals aren't there. And I guess you'd be looking to improve at like linebacker, maybe get an extra safety in there. Uh, I don't know, they're tight end potentially, but there's you know these aren't like huge weaknesses. They're more like you know can we get Joe Burrow 100% healthy and can we you know pull out some of these close games that we've lost early in the season. I'd borderline say buyers, Jackson. I originally yeah, wanted to say, yeah, I'd, ori- I'd almost say sellers. 
if only because like what the hell is going to happen with T Higgins last year of his contract or playing arguably the worst season of, of recent memory in his department, like a, like a sub 50% short memory. Yeah. So with like sub 50% catch rate, he's putting up less than 30 yards a game. Uh, it's find some touchdowns, but like it, the drops have been crazy. Maybe you try and get an asset for him, but I guess it's kind of also selling at like the bottom of his powers. There are a ton of teams looking for wide receivers at this point. So like that would be the only guy probably worth selling, but like you could maybe pick up a tight end. Irv Smith hasn't like, I thought they were the uh, tight end laundromat where they just pick a guy up off the trash heap, turn him into a hyper efficient guy, like a CJ Uzama or Hayden Hurst. They ship him back out, get a compensatory out of it. Irv Smith hasn't really shaken out like that, but you know maybe you can get a uh, you can get someone in there. Could you get uh, like Moali Cox? Austin like Hooper? that's my my Austin Hooper would be the first one that comes to mind for me because the Raiders have the rookie tight end in house and they're not going anywhere this year. So why not just try to get like a six round pick for Austin Hooper? I don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. I'm a I saw a uh, there was a PFF article floating out hypotheticals uh and mo ali cox appeared on one and i've always just been a mo ali cox guy from like one uh data thing i looked up on tight ends uh so i've beaten that drum unnecessarily for a while but (laughs) it's good good yeah uh all right is there a team number two that might have a more exciting piece to either trade or sell than mo ali cox I feel like that's a lead-in for something, and I'm fully escaping. Let's talk Raiders. Where do you want to go with the Raiders? Because I want to preface this with saying they're a 3-4 and four team who just lost to the Bears, are on the brink of rebuild. Devontae Adams feels clearly unhappy with this situation. You could also probably get a haul for throwing a Max Crosby unexpectedly in a deal. Uh, they've got so many top-end assets and are just such a collectively bad team. I don't want to fully tee you up for this. But, but you I, have, and it's the easiest sell on the board. It I just, just don't know where you go with this team. They have yeah, no direction. I mean, like, maybe there's easier sells in terms of, like, okay, the Pats and Broncos go ahead sell everything. But the Raiders, like you said, have actual assets. And they've already basically said they're not trading Devontae Adams. I – I can see that logic with Max Crosby, but to me, if somebody blows you away with a Devontae Adams trade offer, like go for it because it's time to hit like the hard reset button. Josh McDaniels isn't making it to Christmas. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be your starting quarterback next year. Probably nobody on the roster is. I mean, we need to see more Aiden O'Connell games, but I don't think he's, you know, the guy that you want to be your penciled in starter going into 2024. So let's make the rest of the season entirely. Uh, up for grabs. What's Jacobs? Did he get? He didn't get like a big extension in the offseason. No, it was a one year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's going to bring back some value, I would think. So trade him too. I'd probably keep Crosby because Crosby's like the hardest thing to draft and find besides quarterback is like a premium edge rusher. And other than that, it's like you know, sell away. I guess like I mean, Myers is probably staying. And Myers is like a good piece to have for a rebuild, like a solid borderline, very good receiver too. Uh, and yeah, I mean, anything like Austin Hooper should be gone today. 
like those those types of pieces should be immediately sold for as much late round draft capital as you can stack up. Jackson will remain in the AFCs. I also think they're sellers. By the way, uh, I think you have like you just saw him lose to the Bears, people. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like you're you're so in the dumps, and I don't I don't hate them keeping. Uh, who who is the New England GM that's in the buildings? Dame Brugler? No, that's a that's a different guy. Uh, but they have a New England-based uh, personnel guy who left with Josh McDaniels to take over as the general manager of the Raiders. Uh, I, Ziegler? Ziegler, uh, Ziegler, yes. It's Dan Ziegler. Uh, I don't hate keeping him around. Uh, he's had a decent eye uh, for talent, bringing in Myers as a high-floor vet. Uh, Michael Mayer is kind of developing before our eyes. Uh, they've been able to get some good execution out of the small pieces that they've accrued. Defense is playing better than the sum of its parts, but just a just a bad situation where you have too many big names on a middling roster where you kind of have to figure something out. Last in the AFC East, Jackson heads or tails? Tails, obviously. Tails of the New England Patriots. Oh, well. They're sellers. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what else there is to say about the Patriots. I, you know, I don't want Bill to like break the all-time losses record before he breaks the all-time wins record, but it looks like that's going to happen at this point. So there's no other like legacy pride stuff to play for at this point. I I did say I was happy that they beat the Bills, but that was mostly for making fun of Bills and especially Nolan purposes. I, there's not really any purpose to the Pats winning games at this point. They Shots had them at a 6% chance to make the playoffs. That feels way too high. I'd have them at like a 0.6% chance to make the playoffs. So like he, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the Steve Cohen thing, right? Like hope is not a strategy and the Pats don't even really have much hope at this point. So just, you know, they have pieces and they add pieces to deal as well. So like expedite the rebuild and lose as much as you can in the process. I firmly advocated for the sell in my article, which you can read at FDNDVOA. Uh, I'd thrown pieces out there like Kendrick Bourne, uh, Josh UJ, uh, Hunter Henry. You can even throw Jalen Mills, hyper versatile defensive back. Yeah. Uh, the PFF article that had trade suggestions sent him to Philadelphia. Don't touch uh, my Christian Barmore with a 10 foot pole though. That guy was, he was the one guy I was watching yesterday where I was like, Holy sh- Nike. No, nah, he's been awesome. He is. He's one of, he, there's a new crop of not crop, but like, or not new either. Uh, there's just an emerging number of capable, uh, pass rushing interior linemen, uh, Aaron Donald's one of them. Quinnen Williams is one of them. Yeah. Christian Barmore feels has like, like kind of ruined it for everyone else, where we don't appreciate some of these Barmore type guys as much because Aaron Donald. The bar is too high with Aaron there. Donald. Yes, but yeah, exactly. With, but with like with Quinnen Williams in the mix, it just or like Barmore feels like that next logical step. The issue I have is that Barmore. Uh, I, I have to go back and look at the numbers. He has been an awful run defender. Like he is, he is an unplayable run defender at points. And uh, if that can improve, awesome. If it can't, uh, there's a ceiling on how much you can pay a guy like that. Uh, going back to the New England thing, though, or just like whether they're sellers, 
I think they're sellers, but they also <laughs> Jackson. They've got to oh, no you schedule game. I'm going to play the schedule game, Jackson. They're they're, they're going down to the death pit uh, of uh, it's so hard rock field. I don't know, but they're going to Miami yeah. and they hate playing in Miami. But however, uh, they got a fun. They've got a real fun runway of hosting the Commanders and Gardner Minshew led Colts. Uh, going to the Giants, hosting the Chargers. Uh, they put Justin again. They're not hosting the Gardner Minshew Colts. They're pl- Colts. They're playing them in Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Yeah, sure. I guess. But also, <laughs> the Patriots are Germany's team. Uh, they're one yeah, of them in in true. the NFL international thing. So it might be a home game for them. Uh, oh, it is a it's a literal home game for them. But uh, what I was going to say, Commanders, Colts at Giants, Chargers. They put Herbert in a just a mental pretzel every time they play them at Steelers and they go to the Chiefs they for some reason just always play the Chiefs really tough Belichick is really good at playing against Patrick Mahomes uh they almost beat him with uh a combination of Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham yes uh memorable and then they go at Broncos and then there's two games and at that point like I see where the six percent is like you gotta you gotta win five straight to get there, yeah. but it's not happening, man. That's it my was, that was my worst fear. My worst fear was a, a seven and ten, eight and nine path season, and it's that makes it sound like it's going to happen again. And I, ugh, I don't want it. All right, please, please, Couple, no. give me one more. Let's okay. Uh, NFC South or NFC West? Uh. I'm more intrigued by NFC South because I, I don't feel like there's any like NFC West teams that I would – the Rams, I guess, would be the one that I would waver on, but I'd rather talk about a South team. Tampa Bay. Let's talk Tampa. Uh, I was going to throw New Orleans in here, uh, but I think their situation's too weird right now uh, with coaching personnel and uh, like already a litany of offensive weapons, so I left them out of this. So let's talk about Tampa Bay, who is like half a game out of division lead, uh, like point differential. They're, they're basically playing dead even with teams on one of the easiest schedules in the league. You're doing a lot with Baker Mayfield, but you also have some massive expirings coming up. Uh, buy or sell on Tampa Bay. Man, from an attitude perspective, I want to say – either stand pat or soft by like I did the Bengals, but I don't like what's, what's the, what's the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, you know, is it right. nine and eight, is a nine and eight season in a first round playoff exit where you lose like, you know, 26, 10 to the Cowboys. Is that really like worth playing for? And they have all those expirings and so many of them would fetch like still decent returns. Devin white chiefly among them where like, I don't know, man. I think I think the smart move is sell, but I don't think they will. So that's kind of where I'm stuck on this one. Like if it were me and I was just like mad and GMing this team and didn't have to answer to the fan base, I'd sell 100%. But I don't I think the way that sports work nowadays and the way that like, you know, it's not just about winning, it's also an entertainment business and it's about, you know, keeping people invested and keeping butts in seats. I don't think they're selling. I think they stand pat with what they have, but I just want to give a rundown for the audience uh, of their top guys 
uh, that are hitting the market. First off, you said Devin White. Devin White is a a solid, if if streaky, uh, linebacker. Uh, Mike Evans. Mike Evans is the answer. Uh, last year of his uh, deal in Tampa Bay uh, has never caught for less than a thousand yards. I just rattle that off because it's consistently so impressive to me. Uh, but along with Mike Evans, you have Devin White, Levante David. Antoine Winfield Jr. and Ryan Neal. That is right. Both starting linebackers and both starting safeties are hitting the open market. Uh, some lesser names in there, uh, like Greg Gaines uh, for interior defensive line, Devin Tompkins, like some much more situational players. Uh, but like, there's a lot you could potentially move, and there's a lot that's immediately hitting the market in 2024, which throws a wrench into uh this thing because you like you see the glass bottom cracking underneath you but you know you've got more time until it actually does like this is it's not year zero of a rebuild it's year negative one uh so it's supposed to be like last year like this it was was supposed yeah this was supposed to be year zero and it's just you're doing too well. You you got the you got a dirt easy schedule. Uh, you're riding high. Baker Mayfield is playing slightly above, ex- moderately above expectation, uh, and the two teams that you thought would be better uh, suited to handle a uh, season like this, the Saints and the Panthers, are downhill uh, and just woefully underperforming expectations. Uh, Rams were the only other team I wanted to throw in there. Uh, that's so, a good last one, and I, I agree that we should talk about them. So let's. Just one of those, like, just real middle of the road. You see the highs with Matt Stafford going to Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Uh, you, like, still have some marquee names on that team. If but you're going to sell, what's you the big drop to the Steelers, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's they're in such a weird spot because like their their first win against the Seahawks looks so dominant now there they went toe to toe with the Niners like they gave the Eagles a run and then you just drop a game like this and and you just kind of wonder like what's the big path forward here like are you just gonna get a seven seed are you gonna ride out the Stafford contract I'm gonna pull up their uh, free agents while you talk are they buyers or sellers right now. Well, that's so with them, it's like almost the opposite of the Bucks, where I want to say sell, but I don't see the vision for selling. Like, what do they like? Are you going to sell the super high end pieces? Because if not, what do you have to sell? And I don't see like that nice middle ground of, okay, here are the guys that are going to stay long term. Uh, you know, the four best players on their roster, two of them are receivers and they kind of have a similar skill set to each other. And then there's Stafford, who has been really good throughout the course of his career and has looked really good at times this year. But there's also injury histories and aging curve to consider. Then there's Aaron Donald, who, like, you're never going to trade. But I don't know, maybe one day you could get to that point where you should because the rest of your roster is so decrepit. So I don't – if you're not going to trade one of those four guys, and I don't see a world where they do – like what's the yeah long term vision for selling? Who are you selling, and what are you trying to build towards? And when I just like, Rams are real- in a bad spot to me because I don't see them being contenders anytime soon. 
Uh, and we kind of knew this was where they were going to end up after they sold every draft pick in their team's cabinet to get one Super Bowl, which I think that's a trade you take 100 times out of 100. But I don't have like a good short-term plan for the Rams at all. I'd ar- I'd almost argue by like it's sure. definitely it's, <laughs> yeah it's definitely stand pat in terms of uh what they've already sold pretty much like you get rid of Cam Akers uh for a song uh, Van Jefferson gone uh that's like, a good point they did sell like that's yeah. what they had to sell uh there's been a lot of like oh the Rams should get Brian Burns which sure. Or like the Neil Hunters in that mix too, like yeah, sure, I guess. But you know who'd be good to have right about now, Jalen Ramsey. He'd be a good fit on that team. Uh, I like it. I like them getting out of that. Like it's a soft Fair. reset for their core. Uh, and if you can kind of figure that money out, work around a new team. Uh, but yeah, like they're not selling on Copper Nakua. They're not like flipping Higby for a guy. Like they need players on offense and they're just hanging around long enough. Or if you look at the rest of the teams in front of them for conference play, it's, it's not that bad. Like conference wise right now, they are sitting pretty much eighth. Like they're a half game behind Tampa Bay. There's a lot of like just slop in this middle tier of. If you're asking me who do I believe in more to make the playoffs, Tampa or LA, I'd like to say LA, but I'm guessing the schedules would suggest Tampa, but we can't have two NFC South playoff teams this year, can we? Right now, right now, two of those playoff positions are locked up by the Seahawks and the Cowboys, and the Rams just feel like they're they're right there with Seattle. As high as I want to be on Seattle, like the Rams just feel right in that mix. And like of the of the three and three slash three and four teams, uh, Tampa, L.A., Commanders, Saints. And Minnesota's yet to play, so they'll be two and five probably. But uh, like just of that, just that third tier in the NFC, I'd say LA is the most capable of breaking out. They just need like another piece. And Brian Burns would be a long term addition because you, again, like you said, you don't see a vision for a rebuild here. You've got the offense in Stafford, Cup, and Nakua locked up. You've got Donald, who again threatening to retire like multiple years in a row now. Tough there, but I like him as buyers. I like him trying to get something on that defense to just hold the line a bit. They just they just allowed twenty four points to a Mac Canada offense. Like I understand some of it's been both running backs. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that's been an execution problem on some ends uh, on for Pittsburgh, but at some point, like that's a big indictment on your defense. Yeah, I mean, you have to add on defense because you're not, you know, their offense is fine. And also, like, you're not investing more money into that offense after you've already invested in the world. So, yeah, you're fine. Uh, I was going to say last one, but, like, your header is Kirk Cousins to the Browns. So, like, we should definitely talk about the Vikings. So, I'm going to flip this one on you. Uh, Obviously, you think sellers. But, like, what are your realistic 
trades like what where are you trade are you actually going to trade kirk to cleveland because that i mean that's a little tongue-in-cheek they're not going to trade for a guy after they just signed deshaun watson it's not really like deshaun watson's clearly not the answer and you're getting so many rumbling reports about him like choosing to sit out of games uh he was medically cleared for uh this he was medically cleared like last week and he sat out by his own volition uh this week he goes out for a concussion pro, uh, protocol, clears concussion protocol, and then sits out. Uh, he's making just a lot of – I'm sick of these guys, like, clearing concussion protocol and then coming back and getting concussed again. So I'm, I'm okay. not – I'm not – like, yeah, I, I get it. But, like, if he's if he doesn't have a concussion and he's just sitting, uh, that's fine. But also just look at the way he played before. He finished with negative, like, I hate citing fantasy points, but the only, like, line I had uh, while I was out when Deshaun Watson uh, had gone out was I just flipped over. He had negative two fantasy points or an interception, a fumble, and, like, negative yards. Like, he, yeah. hasn't, he hasn't been playing super well for Cleveland in any stretch. It's been about a calendar year of football out of Watson, just under at this – I guess not, uh, but – because he came back in week 11. Uh, but, yeah, we, we've we've seen, you know, in a small sample size sport, we've seen about more than half a season's worth of Deshaun Watson's game at this point, stretched across two years. You should see some sort of, like, demarcation of improvement, and we just have. Like, he just hasn't really improved. He's still doing stuff with his, with his legs because he's an athlete. He's just trying to, like, get by in the passing offense, which even that's a bit of a stretch for him. But Kirk's on a one, like Kirk's done. Like Kirk's on a one-year deal. He's wrapped up. You get Kirk, you bring him in for a one-year rental and support what is inarguably the best defense in football right now in Cleveland uh, with a bunch of awesome, like really hard fighting weapons around him in, uh, Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, David Njoku, whose face is burned off and he's still playing football, uh, like in two solid backs and Kareem Hunt and uh, Jerome Ford. Uh, like, I don't know. This team is like fully being let down by the quarterback position. You've got to have them win, which is why I say Minnesota. But Minnesota, on the other hand, is in four, four and two, which is crazy bones. And like I fully registered that game against the Colts yesterday as a loss, but they won. Maybe yeah. the refs handed it to him, but they won and they're four and two and they're in the playoffs right now. Seriously. But it, like back to the actual point of Minnesota, it's it's a weird situation, but you know like you're actively underperforming where you know you probably could be, just given like how how big you overperformed last year. Uh but Cressy, the GM in Minnesota, has a massive, massive analytics background. He's not going to fall short on some like sunk cost fallacy. He's might be over aggressive in trying to gain assets. And a couple of the biggest assets you could flip right now is Kirk Cousins is going to get you picks. Uh, Daniel Hunter is going to get you picks. Uh, there's just a ton of. I, I keep saying Daniel Hunter. I'm, I know it is Daniel Hunter. That's it. There's no, there are just so many former, uh, there's so many former uh, Vikings defensive linemen on the Browns that I just keep thinking in my head that Daniel Hunter is a Brown. I know it's Daniel Hunter on the Vikings, but like single handedly leading this team in sacks with eight, uh, 
like should be getting moved and he's probably not uh or like he probably should and probably will but like is that going to be enough you could easily keep flipping more pieces arguably the best thing you could do right now like what could you what could you get right now for a hurt justin jefferson what could you get for justin jefferson on ir in the last year of his contract i'd still think you'd get a lot is he in the last year of his deal uh, yeah, he's a second round pick. Huh. That's so weird to me that they haven't like, I mean, I guess they could tag him, but, uh, I still think you're getting at least one, maybe two first rounders for him. And I don't think any team that like trades for him would do so with the intent of him being a rental either. Like that. No, no, you would do it with the intention of extending, but yeah. I think it's just giving you first. I mean, look what McCaffrey's done for the Niners. Like he's bringing at least that kind of impact to your offense. So why not? Why not send two first rounders and a established good NFL player for half a year plus contract extension worth of Justin Jefferson? Yeah, like it's it's just getting the ball rolling on something. It guarantees you in some regard a quarterback, unless Chicago gets real cute uh, because it's an NFC North rival and you allow a team to leapfrog you. Or, or they just flip that second that either their Bears pick or more likely, yeah, I guess um, more yeah, likely yeah. their Bears pick. Uh, they flip that and allow a team to leapfrog them for Drake May. Uh, but I don't know, like like Minnesota's just got to burn it down. Like like this has been a really uh, like a, a really strained time. They they haven't been able to do much with this core, and they've always just been pretty good. Uh, let's get real bad so we can get real good. Agreed. Uh, I think that's it on the segment. Uh, maybe a couple more teams that we could have touched on. Packers. We got to break it off at some point. Yeah, we figured know. out the real, real gross part of the league. Yeah, I like it. Uh, game balls, less gross. Uh, I'm gonna go first, Gail, because uh, there's so many options. You know. Uh, we haven't even talked about the Chiefs yesterday, how good they were. Patrick Mahomes looked fantastic. Not going to give him my game ball. It's really – can I just throw in quick? It's really bad the Chiefs have become an afterthought at this point. Like, yeah. we're, well, not talking, we're not talking about the Chiefs, like, completely dismantling the Chargers. Mike Denier for The Messenger wrote a piece about, like, it's kind of put up or shut up time for Justin Herbert. Uh, he, like, he started buying into the social media quarterback thing. Uh but it's crazy the Chiefs are just doing it again. Their one loss is a or their one loss is a one point loss in week one to the Lions, and they've just mowed through every team they've seen since. Yeah. And the uh the defense is like maybe the best it's ever been. Shouldn't be allowed to have a defense. No. So not gonna give it to Patrick Mahomes, not gonna give it to AJ Brown, who again is like in a historic run of success. I'm not even gonna give it to Deontay Foreman, who was maybe well he wasn't even on the bears at the start of the year but maybe their fourth running back that they've gone to and just randomly breaks out for three touchdowns yesterday and i'm not going to do that because he has a teammate kale that i need to introduce everyone to i think we did a little bit last week but undrafted free agent rookie quarterback tyson bajant he is the ncaa career touchdown record holder nobody in college football history any division of college football has thrown more touchdowns than Tyson Bajan, 159. Tyson Bajan is from West Virginia, went to Division II Shepherd College. 
His father is a 28-time world champion arm wrestler, which apparently you can stack up 28 world championships because there's two arms involved in arm wrestling. Uh, He lost his last college game to Colorado School of Mines, and his first start since that game is in the NFL, and he won. So legendary stuff. And I give it to him mostly because I also played – sub d1 collegiate athletics so he's a hero to all of us out there uh i respect the pick uh the i i i did want to argue that if you're picking anyone from that game it probably should be deontay foreman it probably but guess what deontay foreman has had nfl successful games before this guy like what's the precedent for a udfa quarterback coming in and winning his first career start i don't remember it did like austin davis do it a few years ago when the Browns, oh, I start him. I was gonna, I was gonna say UDFA quarterback throws a wrench because I was basically gonna say Brock Purdy, but he oh. technically got drafted. <laughs> He's the closest thing to a UDFA we have. Uh, I don't. Yeah, y'all have to. I'll have to pull that one up and and look at undrafteds. But uh, it's it's probably up there. He beat out PJ Walker in training camp for this backup job, and PJ Walker also won an NFL game yesterday. A lot, of, a lot of good backup quarterback play going on these days. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. The four snaps we saw of Malik Cunningham. <laughs> Aiden O'Connell throwing a touchdown after Brian Hoyer played the worst backup quarterback game we've ever seen. Aiden O'Con- this, we should have gotten a, a backup bowl. We should have gotten a AOC versus Tyler Bajan. Uh But we didn't. Uh, the Ravens spoiled that for us, and that's why they're sellers. Uh, yeah, I I forgot you didn't give a game ball to AJ Brown. I kind of like loosely read the top of your thing uh, and didn't fully get into. I guess I saw you were doing Bajan because I was going to bring up Colorado School of Mines. Uh, yeah, I, I want to give it to AJ Brown. I'm going to give it to Lamar. Lamar's just sick, man. Uh, Lamar's my MVP right now. If like Sands Pat Mahomes. Uh, he's playing some of the best quarterbacking. He's play, he's playing some of the best football he's played since his MVP season. 357 yards, three touchdowns, additional touchdown on the ground. Uh, he's kind of just doing it all for this team right now. Uh, just unreal. Unreal play. Uh, awesome to see the Ravens kind of finally put it all together. Yeah, I mean, that's – he, if he's not like your one in MVP right now, he's definitely your two. And I yeah. think we were on that for several weeks among the three of us, me, you, and Nolan, just being like, Lamar MVP, Lamar MVP. But how much is his team just dragging him down into the mud and keeping the world from seeing that he is the MVP? And I think this was the week it was like, all right, cool. Like, we can all be on the same page now. Lamar's the MVP. So I guess we'll see if a, a Tua or a Brock Purdy ends up in that conversation after a 15 win season or something stupid. But I mean, if you just watch the quarterback play around the league right now, like Lamar stands out and it's, it's obvious. So good pick there. Cannot complain. Uh, I have a feeling that you're going to have a good pick for defense too. Yeah. I don't know if I've given this guy a game ball, but linebacker Quincy Williams, man. I mean, dominated the bye week. He plays like he shot out of the can. Uh, <laughs> good one. Uh, no, Darius Slay. Uh, Darius Slay for the Eagles, uh, big play Slay, uh, doing a, doing it all, man. Uh, like, j- just in a 
season where the Eagles secondary has been really banged up, uh, Slay has has seriously stepped up uh, in certain regards. Uh, big tackle for loss, couple passes defensed, a a clutch game ceiling interception, uh, really put that one away uh, and allowed just fully put the clamps on uh on Miami in a red zone target when uh or, or basically a goal line target uh when the game mattered most uh hats off big play slay just a hard nickname just a sick sick nickname too uh but yeah it's tough to uh it's tough to hold this electric Miami offense to uh to under 300 yards total uh held to a Specifically to under 200 net yards uh, with all those sacks thrown in there. Oh, no, one of those is Cedric Wilson. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, just a, just a, he was a big part of that. He was a big yeah. part of uh, holding up that Miami D or Miami offense. Thanks for murdering my fantasy team last night, Tua. Uh, that's, I mean, the Eagles play great defense, and the other team that played great defense that I wanted to give it to was the Chiefs. But then, like, I didn't have one Chiefs defender who I thought was, like, you know, game ball worthy yesterday. They were just a collective shutdown. Yeah, they were awesome. Uh, So I'll just say, like, you know, Steve, Willie Gay, George Karloftis, uh, Justin Reed, like, all of you can, like, split a metaphorical game ball in my mind. Uh, But the actual game ball is uh, Kyle Van Noy. Kale, if you had told me, like, start of the year, Kyle Van Noy is going to win a game ball. Uh, I would have guessed like maybe five teams he would have played for. And I don't believe that the Ravens would have been one of them. So <laughs> shout out. That's pretty cool. Uh, Kyle Van Noy only got signed by the Ravens on September 30th. So do the math. This is only week four of him even being a Baltimore Raven. And guess what? He's right here. He's got his two sack game. And the thing is, the Ravens have lost every linebacker this year. They've, they've had four guys go to IR since the end of the preseason, and that ranges from your Ojabos uh, to your backup guys, your veterans. Like, everyone's going down, and like it just helps to have a steady veteran presence come in on the free agent market. So uh, shout out 2018 Super Bowl champion uh, legend Kyle Van Noy. Not even just Super Bowl legend, kind of outside of maybe Miami, but everywhere that Van Noy's gone, he's produced. And I'm mainly shouting out him emerging as a very good outside linebacker for the Chargers last year when they had a much better defense than they currently have. Uh, yeah, just a just consummate athlete, or consummate professional, plug-and-play athlete, kind of do whatever. And also, pretty- like, a very vocal leader on any team he goes to and has always kind of been, like, willing to speak for the defense. And I feel like those types of guys are always valuable assets these days on contending teams, especially. Yeah. He, he put on a big game hats off to him in in a pretty tough environment. Like, I don't know. A lot of the stories coming into this week is like Detroit travels really well. One of the like top five offense, top five defense. They're doing really well. Uh, they might not be a top 10 defense. I forget how DVOA shook them out, but they were like surprisingly very high on defense. And KVN, Patrick Queen, Justin Matabuke really put the silencer on. Like just 
completely shut them down. Uh, hats off to him just hopping off the couch, Justin Pugh style, and making it happen. Works for me. I was I was uh, enraptured watching KVN do his thing yesterday. Uh, special teams, Kel, who you got? It almost feels mean. This is where I give the Chiefs a game ball. <laughs> you know why, Jackson? Because we were talking buyers and sellers. The Chiefs were buyers this week. Getting Miko Hardman through a song from the New York Jets immediately pays dividends. Uh, I think I, I've anecdotally told this story on the pod of uh, my unwavering belief in Miko Hardman because of Madden 2021. Uh, where as a rookie, Miko Hardman, uh, I'm so bad at returning kickoff returns uh, in Madden, and I broke off like five touchdowns at Miko Hardman. Miko Hardman comes back to the uh, Chiefs, one punt return, 50-yarder. Just sick. Uh, This In a normally lazy week, uh, this would probably go to Young Waiku for just hitting a a game winner. It'd probably be better than the Graham Gano one. Uh, that I handed out. Uh, Hardman didn't really do anything outside of it. He had one catch for six yards on three targets. Uh, wasn't super involved. I guess he's still like relearning the playbook and getting reintegrated back into an offense with a lot of mouths. Uh, <laughs> I just look at this like, sorry, I know we're not talking Chiefs and this is now just a full tangent on a game ball, but like... <laughs> I don't know how many one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players uh saw targets for the Chiefs. Ten of them caught passes. Uh just so many random guys not named Travis Kelsey. <laughs> like this is like how are the Chiefs doing this, man? Because of Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. But there is like and and part of the larger discussion about Hardman being back is the Chiefs looked like the Chiefs yesterday, and that play was a big part of it where he's just bursting downfield on a punt return. There were a bunch of big Mahomes runs yesterday. There were some explosive MVS plays, including one that went for a touchdown. There was like that dump pass to Pacheco where he just walked into the end zone and did a big selly like that. That felt like Chiefs football yesterday, which even though they were winning every week, I feel like some of that explosive capability had been missing. And that was like, and that place just gets like so raucous when they're just running all over the field too it's one of the only like truly intimidating atmospheres in the nfl i feel like so that was yesterday was my like wake up the chiefs are fully back moment uh and that was that game had everything to do with it i am going to go to a different well for a special teams game ball because uh we had the chance to do something special this week kale who's our like most awarded defensive game ball guy who's the guy that's gotten like six or seven defensive game balls throughout our history. Any guesses? Quincy Williams. Well, probably. Uh, aside from Quincy Williams, I think our answer would probably be Miles Garrett. It would. It would. Well, he has not gotten a special teams game ball. So for the sheer impressiveness of being a 285-pound human being who can just jump over another human being and block a field goal, we hereby award him his first special teams game ball. Uh, and you know what? Like – they don't count on his special team stats, but I'm going to go ahead and say that having two strip sacks, which one of which is returned for a touchdown, the other one sets up a goal line touchdown. I think that helps your case any given week to earn a game ball. It would have almost more been, it been more impressive because he probably deserved it. Yeah. 
But they think that 38 points in one place. week. We were generous and, and handed them out elsewhere, but it's true. Man, he is awesome. You know, you can't jump over the center on a uh, field goal block unless you clear him cleanly. Miles Garrett is 285 pounds. Uh, I think I think Austin Gale had tweeted it out. Uh, just a video of him from the off season. Uh, Miles Garrett, not Austin Gale, doing uh, 36 inch. Uh, box jumps uh, with 40 pound dumbbells in each hand. Uh, that's insane. Uh, <laughs> scary. <laughs> that, is, that is superhuman. That is scary. I don't like it. I'm upset. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, like, I used to do 36 inch box jumps in college. Like, I wasn't one of the more impressive box jumpers on the team, but like 36 inches is, you know, nothing, nothing crazy impressive, but 40 pounds in each hand. Screw you. That's that's yeah. mean. That's mean to us mortals that you can just do that. You're also not 285. <laughs> like no, that's he's so got awful. a lot of extra weight to carry up on his own plus 80 pounds. That's profoundly upsetting. I can't do like lateral raises with 40 pounds and he's out here box jumping with it. I'm 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 upset at you, Miles Garrett. Uh let's talk about uniforms. I didn't have a more graceful transition to that, but what I do want to say is uniform games versus individual uniforms, I think, play a factor more so this week than any other week. So with that in mind, I'm going to set the stage for you, and then I'll clean up anything that's left to talk about from the week that was in uniforms. But what games stood out to you the most? Man, it is really Chargers-Manders for me. Or, or Chargers-Manders, uh, Giants-Manders. I was reading your game ball to make sure I didn't take it. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the spoiler. Uh the it's th- these giants these giants retros are the coolest jersey going right now and that's even with uh, i'm even saying that with the recognition that the commanders all whites aren't exactly fantastic no but i do like them enough and the giants uh throwbacks are so good that uh, they elevate the commanders, but uh, I don't know. Even still, I really like. I always like when they do something funky with the numbers, and I think they tried. I think they, they tried, and I think they succeeded. Uh, <laughs> someone but, should be. Someone should get jail time for the commanders' helmets. That's what I've been coming to over the last few weeks. Because when they were the football team, they had cool helmets with the numbers on the side, and now these ones are just trash. I mean, Matt Burgundy with like just the. World's the match tough. It, it looks so weird in the light. Yeah, it's terrible. They're the worst. Also, right apparently, now. ESPN has unmuted itself on my computer, so I oh, <laughs> it broke out. Broke out of the shackles. Well done. It's, it's been it's been contained for two years. Yeah, me too. I just I needed to sing its song. Uh, stupid ESPN. Uh, that's a good choice. I thought about it, but I, I just have so much vendetta against the Commanders helmets that I couldn't do it. And then I saw the late afternoon window, and there there were a lot of good uniform games in that afternoon window, I have to say. Uh, as much as I'm not a fan of, like, the Rams bone uniforms, I, I liked that uniform game with the Steelers. Uh, I liked Packers-Broncos, surprisingly, a lot, considering how much hate I've given the Broncos uniforms over the years. That one was fun. Uh, but Chiefs-Chargers was just a slam dunk. Uh, and that's where I mean, like, it was a cohesive uniform game 
where like the yellow is playing off itself on both sides and you have the baby blue against the blood red. It was a perfect uniform game. And that's where I want to lead into talking about the Eagles because they had perfect uniforms last night. Those are like the prettiest thing I've seen in years. I'm so glad Kelly Green is back after what, 12 years of absence. But I can't give that the uniform game because the Dolphins also needed to wear their throwbacks to complete the perfect picture. Man, I, this is this is a very anecdotal thing, and I'm stealing this take from Stephen Ruiz. Uh, the Dolphins, the Dolphins can't play good defense in teal. Uh, it's not a tough color. It's not a it's not a defensive color. Uh, you can only have an explosive offense in teal. Uh, <laughs> it's they also just didn't like go super well. Uh, but yeah, those Eagles, like the whole field was awesome. Uh, the alternate logo was great. The color, incredible. Uh, Mike Trout, because he doesn't have anything better to do in October, wearing his Kelly Green jersey in the stands. It's so upsetting. <laughs> I will say, I think the best thing that happened in sports all weekend was the uh, the Nick and Liam Castellanos on the Jumbotron in the entire stadium singing, dancing on my own. That was my favorite sports moment, like even more so than anything that happened in the playoff baseball games going on simultaneously. So uh, any chance I can get to just like hype up the Philly sports scene at the moment, I'll do so. And those uniforms are a perfect excuse. Uh, and you're right, Kale. Those Dolphins uniforms don't play defense. They, especially because it's not really teal, like their throwbacks are teal, and that's why they're my favorite uniforms. These uniforms are like aqua. The pants are like more blue than a true teal. And that is really like, it, it looks like cotton candy. How are you supposed to play tough defense when you're wearing cotton candy pants? I don't see it. <laughs> that's the thing that's holding them back. Vic Fangio exactly. has been nullified by the cotton candy pants. Correct. Uh, speaking of head scratching things like cotton candy pants, I think it's time to, uh, delve into some deep head scratchers this week. Uh, I feel like I've been kicking it to you a lot, so I'm going to, I'll take the reins first on this one. And my head scratcher is, uh, very systemic, not a one play head scratcher that left me saying like, what was this decision? Why did this happen? Uh, this is a, why did this happen? from start to finish of this entire NFL season. And for context, the Houston Texans, Kale, were an expansion franchise who not only drafted a quarterback first overall, but basically had to cobble together an offensive line full of literal cobblers in order to field their first ever team. They got better over the years, but the introduction of the Houston Texans franchise was pathetic and probably most of all so on the offensive line. They have the all-time record for sacks in the early 2000s. David Carr, their rookie quarterback, had 76 sacks in a 16-game season. There is a team right now and a quarterback right now on pace for nearly 100 sacks this season, on pace to absolutely shatter that record set by David Carr and his offensive line full of shoe cobblers. That is Sam Howell, first-year starting quarterback of the Washington Commanders, and the Washington Commanders offensive line, they are at 40 sacks through seven weeks of football. 40. How do you get sacked so many sacks times in seven games? And they were averaging five point something per game. It's now up to 5.7. 
They come in yesterday against a team that had five sacks all year. The worst pass rush team in the NFL, the New York Giants, sacked Sam Howell six times yesterday, more than doubling their season total. And it could have been even worse in a sense that Sam Howell also threw what would have been the easiest pick six in the history of the world if Kayvon Thibodeau didn't have bricks attached to his wrists. So the game could have been worse than it was, but it was already so bad. I don't know how Sam Howell has just found himself in this position of being the most sacked quarterback in league history. I saw, I looked through draft reports. I was trying to find people saying like Sam Howell takes too many sacks. They were there, but in like a 15 bullet note list of concerns about Sam Howell, it was literally the last one on NFL.com's pre-draft report said, you know what? He takes too many unnecessary sacks. Fine. And also like, the left side specifically of the commander's line, according to uh, Aaron Schatz FTN data, is bad. But it's not like historically bad. So there's definitely like many levels in play of play calling, decision making, uh, game scripts, getting too far behind and trying to work your way out of it. But this is way beyond the pale of anything I've ever seen in terms of, dude, just stop taking sacks. It's not that hard. Like you, you're literally blowing up the history book right now for no particular reason. No, he just loves bailing out of clean pockets. Like say, like Sam Howell, like they have a bad offensive line. Uh, it's not this bad. No, You know what I mean? Like it's not historically bad. They have uh, like the 10th best right guard and the 14th best right tackle in the league, according to shots data. So it's not like it's, you know, any way you want it, Sam Howell is going to take a sack. Like there's <laughs> – He's not. He's doing this for the love of the game. He's not doing this because he's got the worst set of circumstances. That dude loves getting hit. It craves contact in not a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got an honorable mention. Uh, Nate Geary of WGR 550 was breaking down some Bill stats. And it goes back to what we were talking about, uh, about like a lack of explosives. Uh, Nate Geary, uh, at Nate Geary Sports on Twitter, I went back and charted every second down and four or less until the final two drives where they were in hurry up or catch up mode. You're going to laugh. Second and four, James Cook run. Second and two, James Cook run. Second and three, James Cook run. Second and four, James Cook run. Second and two, James Cook run. Second and four, James Cook run. In a game where you schemed up one shot downfield to Diggs, parentheses, that worked, Allen over three, close parentheses, you have six second and short situations to give yourself a chance at a big play, and at worst, you're left with third and very manageable. Worst of all, all six of those run plays were the same play. Uh, they made five of those six second and short runs into first downs, but the point Geary is trying to raise is that when you are in those likely-to-convert situations, or you are ahead of the down count after a successful first down play uh, success being defined by gaining uh, 40% or more of your down to distance. Uh, In most cases, like picking up five or six instead of four on a first and 10, but you've got a chance to generate an explosive and you choose not to. Uh, Tell me this is not your head scratcher. Like I'm appalled right now. No, it's bad. It's bad, but I don't want to give it my head scratcher because it's uh, fully me reading another man's tweet verbatim. 
Uh, and I want to shout it out uh, and raise it to our attention. We can talk about that after. But what I want to talk about. Yeah, that's all we need to say about it. That sucks. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> that's bad. Ken, Ken Dorsey's got some head-scratching uh, situational play calls in general. Uh, he was he was very – it's a very poor management and from my tape watching of 22. He hasn't gotten a ton better. Uh, the thing I did want to talk about, though, I like doing head scratchers as just singularly awful moments. Uh, Arizona Cardinals had one. Uh, this is their first mention, really, on the show, not in passing. Uh, five minutes and four seconds left on a fourth and nine. Uh, it is a 17 to 10 game. Arizona is still very much in this. Uh, but have begun to stall out uh, just a quick frame of reference. Ball started on Arizona's 33 with nine and a half minutes left. They moved nine or eight plays, 22 yards. They're now sitting at a bad third and nine right around midfield. Clayton Toon comes out to punt the ball, and they get into punt formation. And then immediately break into uh, just a straight drop back with your punter uh, in a shotgun. Wait, Clayton Toon's not the punter. Clayton Toon's backup quarterback. I know. They ran a fake punt with the backup quarterback dropping back to punt. <laughs> and then he motioned. Well, we should clarify that. Everyone knew he was out there to pass. <laughs> yeah. No, he's out there to pass and not pass well. The play design was... <laughs> Pretty much like a slant route, uh, slant route targeted uh, like two yards in front of the line of scrimmage to Michael Wilson, who takes it four yards. The play is dead to rights, and the game from there is pretty much over. Uh, Seattle then takes it down in three minutes, kicks a field goal to go up two scores. Arizona goes down on downs in their next drive. Ball game over. Listen, Gannon's built up a lot of goodwill around here. He's uh, he, he's overachieved a lot. He's picked up. It's really funny now in hindsight that their only win is against the Dallas Cowboys. But they've played a lot of games real tough. They played this game tough as well. Don't get cute. If you're going to go for it at midfield, go for it at midfield. Give yourself the best shot to actually pick it up. There's some fun trickery you can do on fake punts this is not one of them no one is buying that your that your uh backup quarterback is pooch punting no one is buying that your uh you know michael wilson's not breaking off a play on a slant route uh when you're fourth and nine at midfield uh coming out of a fake punt formation uh it's a bad play call don't get cute just just do it or don't the Toon Squad did not pull through yesterday. I'm, I'm, I for one, am stunned that uh, bringing in your backup quarterback to cosplay as a punter doesn't work out in the year 2023. Who could have seen that coming, Kale? Just there's not. guys that do. Utah, I think, I think it's University of Utah's got a uh, got a fullback who pooch punts. And you know what? That works when you can have 175 guys on a college football roster. But when you're limited to 53 and everyone knows who your backup quarterback is, less effective. Yeah, not a great play call. Not, <laughs> not a great play call. 
That's a good one. I like that we left it there because uh, that is like just a pure isolated incident head scratcher. And we, we've got to get back to our roots of doing those as often as possible. That's where this show uh, breads its butter. But breads butters its bread. Jesus. Episode title, breads its butter. All right. Cotton Monday candy pants wasn't going to do it. We had a lot in this episode. All right. Monday night football. All right. Let's do it. 49ers win. Cheap seats. <laughs> we just talked about selling Kirk Cousins to Neil Hunter and Justin Jefferson. Uh, yeah. If that if that doesn't reflect our faith in this Vikings team, I don't know what does. Kale, in our shared fantasy football league, the league that, uh, you know, it's neither of our number one leagues, but we're in it. Uh, I am concerned because what if KJ Osborne gets 28 points tonight and beats me? Highly, highly likely. The, KJ Osborne, kind of a dude. Kind of a kind of just gets it done. Yeah. I'm thinking um, of just conceding so I don't have to uh suffer the pain of watching KJ Osborne beat me. That's uh that's where I'm at mentally right now. Jax, we got good ones this week. Yeah. For you, want me to, you want me to give it to you or you it's give it to me? My turn. Last week you you dished him out last week, so I, I think did. it's gotta be me okay. this time. Uh we're we're fully developing a rotation. So maybe I'm not gonna pick the ones you were gonna pick. I'm going to eliminate some of the like dreggy ones. Like Baltimore at Arizona is by far the cheapest this week. It's $13. Yeah. I feel like we've just established that games at State Farm Stadium, which by the way, is more out in the middle of a desert than any pro stadium I've ever seen in my entire life are cheap. So we're going to skip that one. I'm going to give you the options and I just want to couch one of them in the circumstances. So first of all, no circumstances to this one. $27. Very cheap. Houston at Carolina. It's a battle of the number one and two overall picks in this year's draft at the quarterback position. Number two, $32. You get to go watch Rams at Cowboys. A lot of marquee names in that matchup, but it's $32 because you have to do the stupid AT&T Stadium, Jerry World, uh, standing room only thing. And you basically have to show up right when the gates open and sprint to get your spot. So that is your $32 proposition for Rams at Cowboys. And finally, $41. I like this game more than I should. This is Sunday night football, Kale. This is what Al Michaels or gosh, I wish it was still Al Michaels. This is what Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth will be heading to next week. The Chicago Bears and potentially West Virginia D2 legend Tyson Bajan against the two and four dead duck Brandon Staley LA Chargers 41. What's your pick? You didn't really give me options because that that Cowboys Rams is such a false flag. What's the second cheapest seat that's or what's the cheapest non-standing room seat? I'm going to look now. That's not standing room because it's oh wow. Oh it gets bad. Hundred and yeah, that's a that's a $122 for the upper 424, which is like not only is it the upper deck, it's this tiny little sliver of a section up next to the Jumbotron. And I don't know how much of the stadium you can even see. Seat me in the Jumbotron. Yeah, <laughs> that point. Let me just watch top down. Uh dude, it's gotta it's gotta be the copium cup, right? It's gotta just be like Two teams that have had such high expectations for 
one one built solely on uh one built solely on hope and projection the other just on on expectations and and low bar standards uh i don't even know which one you're talking about like oh which, uh, which team uh, is which in that equation <laughs> bear, the bears were like crazy projection of like fields is going to take this year three leap that no one's really seen uh and like dj moore is going to fully fix this and the defense is okay uh the chargers were like uh we have justin herbert we just drafted a first round receiver uh we have all these names on defense at some point something's gonna hit like one was an expectation of floor one was an expectation of ceiling I like uh, and, and neither have worked both are bad uh and i'm just i'm just excited to maybe watch uh to uh quarterbacks on wrong teams in Herbert and Fields and if not I get to just watch a West Virginia wonder with the the funniest the funniest tattoos I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> so unexpected. There is a lot going on with him in many different ways and the post game speech where his voice just didn't sound anything like I could have ever imagined it would sound like. And it sounded like a dub. It sounded like it, it was like a voiceover. <laughs> so strange. And to add to that, you've got Fields standing on a chair looking like a proud papa. And Nathan Peterman with his enormous neck in the background with this like happy but also creepy smile. Uh, that really is the most interesting quarterback room in the world right now. And I'm glad that we're, the world is getting to know Tyson Bajan. Uh so I think I'll I think I'll uh, side with you on this one. I'm definitely that that false flag game. I'm glad you like went the extra mile of sniffing out what the actual number was because I wanted to like I wanted yeah, to throw that one in there as a caveat, and you you just blew it up on the spot. So good job. Well, if it's like if it's sixty bucks to get in, I'm doing it. Like if it's one twenty. That's not only like that's one of the most expensive games we've got on that. I, I wanted to bring this up. You know what the most expensive game of the week next week is for absolutely no reason that I can discern? It's the MetLife Bowl. It's yeah, it's, it's the road Jets game at MetLife Stadium against the Giants. That is 211 bucks to even like sniff gate entry for Jets Giants. I was going to like when I was formulating cheap seats in my head this week before I looked, I was like, "Hmm, the Jets and Giants are playing each other this week. Like, I'll probably take that one just to like really lean into the game in my backyard thing because that's like you know the ultimate MetLife experience. That's as as Jetsy and Giantsy as you could possibly get. Two hundred eleven dollars? You kidding me? Yeah, it's called the New York resale market, Jackson. I, I've dropped a lot of f bombs in this episode already, but fuck off. Get out of here. <laughs> it's crazy. The second most expensive is. Is Vegas, Detroit? <laughs> Why is Vegas, Vegas is prime time every week now? What's going what on? What is this economy? Jeez, I don't know, dude. I'm I'm flummoxed. And also, like the Thursday night game is a decent game, uh, Bucks Bills, and it's only sixty. Like it could have very well been in our cheap seats window. We yeah. can't keep we can't keep talking about the no, I mean, we could. the price yeah. zone of cheap seats. I'm gonna lose my mind. Oh. Well. That's that's it then. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to clearly for next week of football season. But signing off for now, Kale, you look like you have something you want to say. Oh, I was just gonna say like next week's gonna be big. 
Like we're good. Like this slate doesn't look bad. A lot of interesting divisional games that'll answer some questions. A lot of fun matchups that'll answer some questions. And then we're two days away from uh, from a big trade deadline. So maybe we have some stuff to break down as well. Yeah. And and next week's oh no now oh, fuck not the end of uh, 18 week schedule screwed me up. I thought next week was also the halfway point, but it's not. It is for some teams, but not for others. That'll be the week after. But uh, long story short, see you. For Kalem Jackson, we'll see you next Tuesday. You did kind of start to say for Kalem Jackson, we'll see you next Tuesday. So this isn't that bad. <laughs> Whatever. Botched intro or outro. Fuck. Oh. <laughs>